Casino Royale, Chapter 1, The Secret Agent. Casino Royale Commentary, Chapter 1, The Secret Agent, with Carrie Evans. Scent and smoke and sweat hit the taste buds with an acid thwack at three in the morning. Is not quite the opening line Ian Fleming composed for Casino Royale but it nearly was. Another attempt read, scent and smoke, can come suddenly together and hit the taste buds with an acid shock at three o'clock in the morning. After several rewrites, Fleming got it down to the familiar, the scent and smoke and sweat of a casino on nauseating at three in the morning. What do these rewrites tell us? For one, it shows how Fleming refined his language, honing it down until he was able to be precise in his imagery. It also shows that from the very beginning of writing his first novel, Fleming wanted to start his work with the senses. Fleming is a very sensual writer, and that's consistent through his drafts. He hits his reader with how it feels, overriding how it looks or sounds from the very beginning. This allows Fleming to build atmosphere from very little detail, although his details are deeply telling. We also see here an effective use of the rule of three, a literary device that suggests using three of something is more satisfying and memorable. Scent and smoke and sweat is so much more effective than just scent and smoke. Notice too the alliteration of those S words, tying together the triad of sensual shocks. Fleming also reveals in this opening a sense of disgust, of loathing, which is a theme that comes through the James Bond novels much more clearly than the Bond films. High gambling is, in Fleming's words, a compost of greed and fear and nervous tension. It is a rotting world, hidden beneath the surface glamour. That Fleming begins with this, rather than revealing it later, shows us something perhaps of himself. Maybe this is a legacy of the Scots Puritan grandfather who established the Fleming fortune, showing itself in the words. A Puritan guilt, the immoral pleasures bond, and indeed Fleming himself often enjoyed. We see this throughout the Bond novels, but perhaps most of all in Casino Royale, when any small moment of happiness is given to 007, it is ruthlessly snatched away. Think of the variety of inventive tortures that he lives through, a sort of penance for the sensual excesses that Bond indulges in. But what of James Bond himself? It's fascinating how little we learn about him in this first chapter. It is named, tellingly, the secret agent, the definite article lending a confidence and definitiveness that just a secret agent would have failed to do. We enter his mind a little, learning he is tired from the day's gambling. We see the casino's view of him in Bond's imagining of their morning meeting, where he is described simply as the Englishman Mr. Bond, a man with luck and good nerves. We learn almost nothing about him physically other than his hair colour, There's no height given, or eye colour, or the details of the scar down his cheek. These will be, however, filled in later in the book. Fleming does, however, return us to Bond's physical sensations, the feel of gravel under his evening shoes, the congestion in his face. And we do learn that this is a man who suspects danger at all points, whether it is imagining a raid on the casino, thinking that his messages have been read by the concierge, or checking to see if there is a hidden assailant in his room. And we learn, of course, of his prodigious consumption of cigarettes, 
as he likes his 70th of the day. Bond is nothing if not a great consumer, whether it is cigarettes, food, alcohol, cars or women. But why leave Bond so mysterious a figure? We know from Fleming himself that the choice of the name James Bond, borrowed from a guidebook for birds of the West Indies, was deliberately low-key. This is reflected in Bond himself. He is a relatively open text, a almost blank canvas that the reader can fill with his or her projection. Perhaps now in 2020 you see your preferred Bond actor when reading the novel, but in 1953 the reader was left much to his or her own imagination. Of Bond's world we learn a little more, and Fleming excels in the convincing details of the spine, details gleaned perhaps from his own time in naval intelligence during the Second World War, in details that do little to advance the plot, but enrich the atmosphere and lend the story an important level of credibility. We learn how Bond's cover links into Jamaica, the very place this book was written, and a man called Fawcett, who, ironically, we learn more about than Bond himself. We are perhaps tantalised by this far-off world. For most of Fleming's readers in the 1950s, the West Indies would have seen little more than a mark on a map, a legacy of Britain's diminishing empire. The further details that Fleming adds when Bond checks his room, of the hair in the drawer, of the talcum powder on the cupboard, and the scratch on the toilet bullcock, showed Fleming's journalistic eye for detail, the convincing colour he peppers throughout the writing. And then there is the mysterious tease of the initial M, a pregnant pause of a person to be revealed in the very next chapter. As the chapter comes to an end, two more notable details are presented to us. One, that Bond sleeps with a gun under his pillow, a .38 Colt police positive, which was a rather old-fashioned model by the 1950s, but similar to one Fleming owned himself, although Bond has chosen to saw his barrel down. This helps to foreshadow the dangers that will follow in the novel. It is, of course, the expectation of violence that drives much of Fleming's work, and he telegraphs it clearly throughout chapter one, building a promise that will pay off later. And second, Fleming gives something of Bond's space, returning to the rule of threes. As Bond sleeps, his features relapsed into a taciturn mask, ironical, brutal, and cold. Ironical, brutal, and cold. A quite perfect summation of his hearing. The Casino Royale fan commentary will return.